You may remain standing as we read Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow, and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. You may be seated. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here with you today. And you already heard the topic for today. It's about today, about observing the Lord's Day, and what's the value of it? Why do we do it? Do we need to do it? Is it important? A verse from the passage that Brother Nathan read, be still and know that I am God. I think to a large degree that summarizes why we set aside a day in seven for this kind of thing. Just to be still and know that I am God. And I was blessed with the Sunday school lesson this morning and uh, I think it goes well with the theme for today, you know, how do we declare God's goodness to the next generation? What better time to do it than when we're all together? Although it's also good to do it at home with our children, our families. But we can do it collectively as well. <clears throat> Be still and know that I am God. I think to a large degree what we do and don't do on Sundays is determined by our culture. You know, for many of us, we've grown up going to church Sunday mornings. Recently, I 
did a little calculation, and I'm thinking I've probably been in church um, Sunday morning maybe 3,650 times, maybe 700, something like that, you know. Would it feel right if I wouldn't go to church Sunday morning? Now, that's part of our culture. But I think it's good for us sometimes to stop and think about why do I do what I'm doing? Is there any good in it? Is there any purpose in it? Should I continue to do it? Should I do something else? So let's think about that in relation to Sundays today. The word Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word that goes back to a meaning rest from labor. In the Old Testament, the word Sabbath is used in a number of contexts, not just as a day in seven, but it's also used in, as a year in seven and in a number of other ways. But most times it has to do with a rest. And I like to think of that uh, rest as not only, and maybe not even primarily, a physical rest, but a rest for our soul and spirit as we trust God as we express that trust in our actions. As we look at the Old Testament, and we think of creation, we know the story of creation. God created the earth, the world, its contents in six days and rested the seventh day. And in the New Testament, just quickly, uh, I think today we observe the first day of the week, or Sundays, because of Christ's resurrection. And we'll look a little bit more at that later. So thinking about the first Sabbath, you know, if you want to open your Bibles to Genesis 1 and 2, I'm going to be referring to some things there. In Genesis 1, we have the creation week and different things that were made on each day. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, I think the wording is interesting. And it says, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So, it looks to me like from the very beginning, from way back in creation, God had a purpose for a special day in seven. It says he blessed that day and he sanctified it 
or made it holy. As we look at those first chapters, sometimes we wonder a little bit on the timing, the time sequence, but I think most of chapter 2 goes back to day 6 is an expansion of that. And, you know, I, I can imagine Adam and Eve in day 6, Adam was busy. He named all the animals and he had this little nap and then Eve appeared and, you know, a lot of things happened on day 6. But day seven was just set aside. What did Adam and Eve do? Well, I don't know. Maybe they had a picnic with God. I tend to think, obviously don't know, but I tend to think it was a time of fellowship, a time of communion with God. A time when God said, just like Jesus said in the reading of the devotions this morning where John re- or Glenn read, you know, just set it aside and we'll do this. Anyway, that's my imagination of the first Sabbath. I think in the Old Testament, the, the thing that maybe stands out the most in relation to um, the Sabbath, the day in seven, is the story of the manna. Okay. So turn with me to Exodus 16. And I want to look at a number of things, just kind of follow the story. I don't plan to read the whole chapter necessarily, but I want to follow the story here in Exodus 16. Verse 1 talks about their journey, and then verse 2 says that they murmured. What's new? They were murmuring all the time. So they murmured. But look then at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. So here God's telling Moses what he's going to do. And then look at verse 14. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. Okay, so this is where it's now actually happening for the first time. Okay, and so the people were to gather some and... It's interesting, according to verse 18, I don't know how this worked, but it says that he that gathered much didn't have any left over, and he that gathered little didn't lack. Uh, I'm not sure how that worked. I guess it was part of the, the miracle. 
But look at verse 19. Moses told the people, let no man leave it till the morning. Now these people must have been a little bit like me. I told someone recently when I'm driving down the road and I see a, a sign that says deaf child, first thing I want to do is blow the horn. That's just kind of how we are. Or maybe you aren't. Hopefully you're not. Okay. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them. Didn't work. I don't know if Moses said, I told you so or not, but says he was angry. I think he'd have been at least tempted to. Uh, Now, look at verse 22. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And Moses said, well, yeah, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. That's what I told the people to do. Okay? Just... Save it for tomorrow. On the sixth day, you're supposed to gather twice as much and save it for tomorrow. Uh, but it's, it's going to stink. It's not going to keep. Well, try it. Verse 24, And they laid it up till the morning, as Moses bade, and it did not stink, neither was there any worm therein. So think about this thing. The manna, and every day they gathered it. But on the seventh day, there was none. Look at verse... uh, I'm going to continue reading in verse 25. And Moses said... Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today ye shall not find it in the field. Six days ye shall gather it, but on the seventh, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And then, sure enough, some of the people went out on the Sabbath day to get some. There wasn't any there. Now look at verse 22. I'm sorry, 32. And Moses said... This is the thing which the Lord commandeth. Fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer full of manna therein, and lay it before the Lord to be kept for your generations. Now, why? Why was this bread stuff, this manna, so important that they made a gold container and put some of it in it? And Hebrews tells us that it was put in the Ark of the Covenant. And it was preserved for many years. I don't think the Bible indicates how long. I, I don't know... 
why this was so important. But I, I think one of the things, I, think, I see two things in the manna here. First of all, it highlighted God's provision for them. God provided for them. And the other thing is that it highlighted the Sabbath day. Now, this thing about the manna spoiling and not having some on the seventh day, you know, as we read here in in this chapter, it seems like it was a one-time occurrence. But my guess is that that repeated itself many times over the 40 years. I mean, if these people were like I am, they would have tried again two years from now, you know? Uh, Maybe. Maybe it'll work this time. But think about that. A reminder every week for 40 years that you need to set aside one day in seven. Interesting. True, the manna was for them to eat, for their sustenance. But I think there was something much more behind or in God's plan for this. Are we any better than they were? Probably not. Although today we do have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe, maybe it's a little easier for us today to remember God. But you know, I need reminders. Do any of you need reminders? See a few heads nodding, the rest of them, I'm not sure if you're sleeping or what you're doing. Maybe you're just much uh, more with it than some of the rest of us. Yeah, we need reminders. Turn with me to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1, I want to start reading in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What beautiful promises. What does verse 3 say? That God, according to his divine power, has given to us all things that pertain to life. Physical life, spiritual life, to life and godliness. 
So God has given us what we need. Sometimes I forget. Uh, Continuing in verse 10. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So how is that entrance? Be careful that you don't fall. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance." Notice the emphasis there that Peter said, I'm just trying to help you guys remember. You need to remember. There's things important here. You need to remember them. I think we need that as well today. We need to be reminded. Does it have to be one day in seven? Well, maybe it could be one day in 14. Or maybe it could be once a month. But you know, I think God knows us probably better than we know ourselves. And his plan, I think, from the beginning was one in seven. As we continue here in this chapter, there are comments about the the uh, transfiguration. Uh, Peter was present there. He talks about seeing Christ being transfigured. And then in verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Um, Let me go back to verse 19. Verse 19 is actually what I had in mind here. It says... We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. Okay, so Peter saw Christ transfigured. He saw Moses and Elijah. What more could you want? But yet he says that there is a more sure word of prophecy. If God's word is more sure, isn't there value in hearing it? Hearing it every week? I believe there is. Turn also with me to Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to read from that more sure word of prophecy what it says about days like today. Having therefore, brethren, I'm starting to read verse 19, Hebrews 10, 19. 
Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And now verses 24 and 25. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. <clears throat> I think again of our Sunday school lesson. You know, praising God, extolling him, talking about it from one generation to the next. Verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The writer here of, of Hebrews saw the value of our encouraging each other to be faithful, to get together and do that. Going back to the Old Testament, I want to read also from Exodus. Exodus 20. And as most of you will recall, Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> Exodus 20, verse 8. One of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. Why? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. <clears throat> In Exodus 31, starting at verse 12. <clears throat> And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath ye shall keep. Why? For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. And it goes on to say more about that. In Exodus 35, a very similar message, verse 2 in Exodus 35, 
In verse 1, Moses is saying, these are the words that God told me to tell you. And verse 2 says, six days shall work be done. goes on to talk about that. I find it interesting that these three verses here in Genesis 35 are just before Moses tells the Israelites about building the tabernacle. And, you know, I don't know what application there is from that for us today, but I think of it this way. Just before the Israelites got involved in this holy work of making the tabernacle, God reminded them, take time for a day and seven to set that aside, to especially remember me to remember the creation, to remember your God. <clears throat> so why do we even look at these scriptures? That's Old Testament. I think there are principles there that we need to think about. I don't believe that we need to keep the Sabbath like they did in the Old Testament. I don't think we need to stone anybody that works on Sundays. But I still think there is something there that we need to consider and value. I think we're not a whole lot different today than when God created people 6,000 or however many years ago. You know, we still need reminders. <clears throat> it's interesting that in the prophets, in Isaiah, you know, if you want to look it up later, in Isaiah 56 and in Isaiah 58, it talks about the Sabbaths and about not polluting the Sabbaths. And I think the Sabbath that's talked about there in Isaiah and in Ezekiel as well are not just not working. It's a time of remembering God's provision. You know, now, when it comes to one day in seven, that's not a big deal. But <clears throat> did you know that Israel was also supposed to observe one year in seven. The seventh year, they were not supposed to sow or harvest. They were supposed to eat what God provided. Is that a reminder of God's provision? Very definitely. And not only that, but after the, a cycle of seven years of seven times seven years, the 50th year, okay, so the 49th year was a Sabbath. The 50th year was also a Sabbath. So here they have, how long from one harvest to the next harvest? At least three years. Uh, 
Now, here in Lancaster County, we're pretty self-sufficient and we're pretty good at remembering things, but we really don't need reminders every week that God takes care of us. I mean, we can take care of ourselves. Right, Nate? Oh, yeah. I think that's what Sundays are all about. To remind us of God and His provision for us. Be still and know that I am God. Turn with me to Matthew 12. I'm going to take time to read here in Matthew 12, verses 1 to 13. Read a number of passages from the Old Testament, and I'd like to read this as well. This is Christ's observations and comments about the Sabbath. If you're familiar with Scripture, you know that in Matthew 5, several times, Jesus says, you heard that it was said in the Old Testament, but I'm telling you. Okay? He said, you heard you're supposed to uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Okay? You heard that you're not supposed to commit adultery, but I say don't lust. Okay? I think what we have here in Matthew chapter 12 is Christ's observation about how the one day and seven applies to us. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Well, they were harvesting. They were, yeah, they were harvesting. They were thrashing. Never mind that it was a very small scale, but yeah. But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was in hunger and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on Sabbath days? That they might accuse him. And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? 
And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. In Mark 2, verse 27, it tells us that Jesus said, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. I believe God designed a day in seven for our benefit. I think Jesus was saying that the Sabbath, or a day of rest, is for our physical, emotional, and spiritual benefit. And it's the idea, again, of physical rest and remembering God as the Creator and the one who supplies our needs. Let me remind you what Philippians says about remembering God and the one that supplies our needs. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Don't worry. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Trusting God. And in verse 19, But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And then going to Matthew 28. The first day of Jesus' resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. There's an earthquake. An angel appears to the women. Jesus appears to the women. And in the other Gospels, we read about Jesus appearing to two disciples on the road to Emmaus and to the eleven as they're gathered in the upper room. Is there any wonder that the disciples and the early church called this the Lord's Day? It's when Jesus rose from the dead. And when he first appeared to them, it's the Lord's Day. Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit was given, was on the first day of the week. In Acts 20, we read about the disciples gathering for communion. And Paul preached. Are you awake? He preached until midnight. One of the guys fell asleep and fell out the window. He was taken up as dead. But by the power of God, he was brought back to life, and Paul kept on preaching till morning. And it says this was upon the first day of the week. 
In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, where Paul is talking about the offering for the saints in Jerusalem, he says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. Now, I agree with the Seventh-day Adventist that that doesn't mean that we know exactly that, oh, it was on the first day of the week that they went to church. It doesn't say that. But it does mention the first day of the week. So I believe that in the New Testament, this idea of a day in seven has been transferred to the Lord's Day, what we call Sunday. Hebrews, if you would turn to Hebrews, maybe you have time this afternoon, read Hebrews 3 and 4. It talks about a rest for the children of God. Before I read my conclusion here, I'd like to talk a little bit about what I think rest is. As I think about and talk about Sunday as a day of rest, I'm not just referring to taking a nap Sunday afternoon or much less dozing off Sunday morning. You know, sometimes we preachers don't get a whole lot of physical rest on Sundays. For me, this rest includes and maybe primarily refers to laying aside our mental engagement with the week's activities. Can you do that? Can you lay aside your mental engagement with the week's activities? Maybe the week's activities are earning a living. Maybe the week's activities are how you will clean and decorate your home. Or maybe it's the homework you've got to get done for tomorrow because it's due Monday morning. Or... Maybe your week's activities were the wildlife you found in the woods. Can we mentally disengage from the week's activities and concentrate, think about, remember God's goodness to us? It means being particularly intentional about my spiritual life, my relationship with God, and my relationship with family and the brotherhood. Now, for someone who spends most of the week sitting at a desk, maybe resting includes some physical activities. So as we look at all this, what do we conclude? I think... It's pretty clear that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are some basic principles behind the observance of the day. The most basic of those principles is recognizing and remembering God and Christ as the creator, the deliverer. Frequently throughout the Old Testament, God says, I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. 
Okay? For us, that coming out of Egypt is a symbolic of leaving our sinful life. Okay, so we're remembering God as the creator, as the deliverer, as the redeemer and the resurrected Lord, Lord of my life, the one I follow, the one I trust, the one I serve. And I believe that setting aside one day in seven as a day of rest and collective worship in the time in which we live without being legalistic about it, according to Romans 14, is God's design for us today. Be still and know that I am God. Let's kneel in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we believe you are here, and we believe that we need to be still before you and be conscious of your presence with us. I believe your word encourages us to do that every week, and our culture encourages us to do it. I believe it's a good thing to do. And so I pray, God, that you would help us, not only on Sundays, every day of the week, to remember you, but especially on Sundays, to share what you have done for us, to talk about it, and to fellowship and encourage each other. I pray that you would help us to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.